Hey everybody and welcome to Coach's Corner. If you've been following me at all at social media, you may know I am in Europe enjoying some rest and relaxation and exploration with Stephanos. He's actually going to be on the podcast next week, so be sure to tune in for that. We're currently in Geneva and I made an agreement with myself that I was going to take a little time off work. It's hard to do when you love what you do as much as I do. And it's been wonderful to just read a book, a book that had nothing to do with personal development because usually the books that I'm reading have to do with that. So I'm diving into my 900 page book, which is The Mist of Avalon, preparing for our trips, our trip to Glastonbury and enjoying eating and swimming and doing a lot of, of nothing, which feels good. So because of that, I am re-airing some of my favorite episodes. And this is one that aired March 2017, so a little over two years ago. So a lot of you probably haven't heard it. It's with a friend of mine. Her name is Allie Golden, and she wrote a book called Good Soldier. And it's all about her experience being the child growing up in an unhealthy home, basically having an unhealthy childhood. That's something we talk about a lot on this show. So many of the callers that I coach, we trace whatever their presenting issue is back to a triggering issue from childhood. The book, The Good Soldier, really dives into the dynamic between parent and child. And I think you're really going to find this interview with Allie inspiring. You can find her book, The Good Soldier, on Amazon. Before we dive in, I want to tell you about one of my latest, greatest finds. It's Amor Ver which is a sustainable clothing brand committed to making versatile and thoroughly designed clothing that is good for both you and the planet. Why do I love them? Well, do you know that fashion is one of the most top polluting industries in the world? Amor Vera's clothing is made with sustainable fibers, non-toxic dyes, and local production. So you can always feel good about what you are wearing. Like their impossibly soft tees, comfortable dresses, shoes, and accessories. Amor Vera has classic and flattering pieces for work and play. Amor Vera is French for green love. I'm brushing up on my French, which is basically brushing up on zero that I know while I'm here in Geneva. So Amor Vera's got me off to a great start practicing my French and they're working to create a healthier planet for future generations. Their clothes are made in limited quantities to eliminate excess waste and ensure the highest production standards. Right now, Amor Vera is offering my podcast listeners 50% off your first order when you go to shopgreenlove.com slash over it. Again, shopgreenlove.com slash over it for 15% off your first order. And now to my talk with Allie. Thank you, Allie, for joining us on Over and On With It. Oh, thanks for having me, Christine. I, I love the mission of this program and it's, it's absolutely in line with, with what I tried to do with the book. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me this afternoon. Yes. So tell us what the book is about. So a good soldier is about my journey, uh, growing up with a mentally ill mother specifically. It chronicles my life, um, growing up in the Washington DC suburbs, um, follows me to our alma mater, Northwestern university, um, in the nineties. 
and then continues on um, through my life in New York and Chicago, concluding with the birth of my first child. And through this time, I, I had a very difficult journey with my mom who suffered from severe depression and a disorder called borderline personality disorder, which some of you out there might be familiar with. I hope for your sake, you're not too familiar with it, but if you are, um, I hope this book might bring you hope because really the message is that Growing up with a mom, I learned certain ways of behaving, certain um, coping techniques. Some of them worked and some of them didn't. And so I really was went through a transformation in order to become my own person and to become a person that could have healthy, successful relationships, which is really what the book is about. It's about having models that maybe aren't so positive, but realizing that you don't have to be stuck in that situation. You don't have to permanently be a victim of your childhood. You can overcome that. You can develop your own ways of doing things. I also really wanted to reach out my hand to the people who are suffering and not just the people who are suffering with these disorders themselves, but the people like me who are, who are family members, who are loved ones, who are trying to, to be supportive. But at the same time, sometimes that means neglecting our own emotional and spiritual needs. And when I was going through all this, I, I felt very alienated. I felt, um, like no one understood what I was going through, that I couldn't talk to people, even my close friends and family. And so I want people out there to realize they're not alone and that you will get through it. You can get through it. And that's what I'm trying to do with the book. So, Well, I, I so acknowledge you for that because I imagine that this was not an easy book to write. And when you were growing up, what, do you, what was the most challenging thing for you growing up with with a mother who had a mental disorder. Did you know that she had it? Well, so there were a couple of challenges and, and I'm glad you brought this up because I, I do think that one of the hallmarks of my experience was inconsistency. I think that when someone is a bad parent, it, it's almost like in the movies when you have like a mommy dearest type of parent, like you're, you're naturally not going to have that much of a, of a close loving relationship with that person. You're going to eventually go to other people for your needs. But with my mom, there were times, especially when I was a, a very young child, where my mother was a very good mother. She was there for me emotionally. She understood what was important to me. Whenever there was something wrong, my mother was always always the one who tried to fix it. And therefore, when she behaved really erratically or abusively toward me, and we're talking about you know usually manipulation, um, other types of emotional abuse, but there was some physical abuse as well. And I didn't really know how to take that. And I never knew what was going to happen. I never knew when things were going to be really good. And I never knew when things were going to be really bad. And so that I think was, was very challenging and that it wasn't a black or white type of situation, which I think a lot of your listeners can relate to It's because life is often not black or white and people are not consistent. And that would be a, a great thing if they were. And I know you talk about that a lot, but they're not. And uh, so that was a particular challenge. And the other thing you mentioned was, you know, did I know and one, one of the other things with my mom's situation is that I, I knew from the time that I was eight years old that my mother was suicidal and basically lived the next you know, 22 years in fear of that um, inevitability occurring. And uh, that was very scary for a young kid. It's even scary for an adult. I mean, that was the, the way that I, I changed my how I dealt with that over time is actually part of the story. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I knew. I was very okay, aware. Okay, so I want to... I wanna... Yeah, I want to unpack this a little bit because um, 
one of the things that, that I've noticed, um, as a coach and as a spiritual psychologist is that when someone grows up in a house where there's a lot of chaos or unpredictability, one of the ways they compensate is, is become very kind of controlling in their own life. They like certainty. They like planning. They don't like not knowing and, and trusting other people. Sometimes it's a challenge. Was that something that was your experience? Well, you know me, so you definitely nailed it. <laughs> I don't know if it's because you're an awesome psychologist or the spiritual coach or, or it's a combination of both. But yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had to overcome a lot of rigidity uh, over the years. It, it, mm-hmm. it became my natural tendency to try to control everything and everyone. And that doesn't, you know, as you and I both know, that that doesn't work very well. The other thing that I haven't managed to overcome quite so well is something you mentioned, and that's my ability to get close to other people. I think that that's been a little bit of a sacrifice. And I can't really fault myself that much for it because that was the way that I coped and that was how I survived. It was because when I was growing up and I was starting to form my own relationships, I would grab onto people so tightly and try to like, just overcome their sense of self with my own, which was what my mom did. And I just did that because that was, that was what I was modeling. And that just, that doesn't work either. And I had such bad results with that. I talk about this in the book that I almost, it's always almost a conscious decision to back away from people. And so it takes me a really long time to get close to people. And it also takes me a really long time even to be emotional with people or open up with people. Um, it's just something that's had to kind of go by the wayside and I'm, I'm working on it. But at the same time, I realize I don't think I'll ever go completely back in the other direction. I think that to some extent, this is me. And one of the things about growing older is just an acceptance of yourself. And this is the way it is. This is how I survived. I'm, I'm not going to play the blame game with myself or with anyone else. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. So, okay, there's so many things I want to. Yeah, <laughs> there's so uh, there's so many things I want to ask now. Okay, so because uh, I think I know what you mean, but I would love you to clarify this for the listeners. You said, you know, I tried to overcome their sense of self with my own because that's yeah. what my mother did to me. Explain uh-huh. what you mean by that. Like, how did that show up? What did that look like? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, I talk about the the whole middle section of the book is about my first loves. Um, there were a series of a couple, and the way that I would. I really just, after all those years of taking care of my mom, I just wanted someone to take care of me. And so I would just go into those relationships and just be extremely needy and just not really think about what the other person was getting out of it, but what could I get out of it? And just would make it all about me essentially. And, you know, relationships are give and take, even at that young age, when you're just getting started and and you're still pretty immature. I think that when you are trying to get used to growing into mature relationships, that's something you have to learn. And it's something that at the beginning I, I wasn't good at. And I've learned over time that you you have to take a step back and you have to be, you know, you talk about this in your work, you, you have to be satisfied and fulfilled with yourself before you can really give yourself over to someone else. And I didn't do, I wasn't at all satisfied with myself. I was trying to get someone else to fill the gaping hole that was in me. And I had to fill that in myself before I could have a good relationship. Mm. Well, and that really is a polarity. So it's like when we don't have that very healthy developmental stage of feeling safe with our parent, 
like it's so psychologically important to feel like we're taken care of and that we're safe. And there's nothing that triggers a feeling of fear for a kid like inconsistency because it's like you don't know where you are and you don't know where you are in any moment. So, you know, the behavior pattern that often comes up is the controlling, like we said, the lack of trusting other, and then that polarity of being really needy and codependent. And then the other side of that is shutting down completely and being like, I'm on my own. I got this, you know, and I'm not letting anybody in because it might hurt too much. So, you know, the only person I can count on is myself. And, you know, you kind of went back and forth between that and you're married, you have children. So you, you have grown, (laughs) you know, you, you haven't shut down your heart completely. So how did you get to a place where you trust someone enough to marry them? And, and then the second question to that is how has this impacted your uh, experience as a mother? And was there any part of you that was petrified to have children? Oh my gosh. So much there. Well, first of all, so just to address the marriage. (laughs) So, um, I married actually my college sweetheart, which was helpful because this was someone who had been there for a really long time. And no matter what I did, he was always loyal. He was always stable. And so there were many times, particularly when I was younger, when I tried to walk away from the situation because I just felt like it was getting too close. And I just didn't believe that I could make it work. My parents ended up getting divorced. Um, neither of my parents had good relationships outside of that divorce. Um, you know, they, they just really weren't able to make it happen either way. Um, and I just, I didn't believe in myself enough to think that we could grow together and grow something that was functional. And we were able to do that. And it's been a a little bit of a miracle. And I think that part of it is just having grown in a certain way together over time. I mean, he's grown and I've grown. So we've now been together. In fact, it was last month. It's been 20 years. So that that's something in my life that I'm very proud of having the decision to have a baby. I talk about it in the book was extraordinarily difficult for me. It took a long time. My husband had to talk me into it and it's let, it's less to do with what I thought I was going to do as a mom. It was actually more to do with the genetic component. There is mental illness all over my family. There's mental illness all over my husband's family. And there were a lot of concerns that we would pass on something like my mother's illness where I really view. And I know I'm kind of, you know, co-opting the end of the book here. I'm not going to tell you how, but my mother did pass away, um, for those listeners. Um, and her whole life was a tragedy. Her whole life was a terminal illness. And so you can imagine the fear of passing something like that onto a a child where it's a lifetime of misery. So it was, it was a huge concern. Um, eventually my husband told me, you know what, we're going to we're going to, we don't know if we adopt what we're going to get. You could get a situation there too. That's difficult to deal with. If the child exhibits symptoms, we're just going to have to try and get him or her all the help that they can get and be supportive. And that's what we've tried to do. I mean, certainly our children and they're now nine and six, they're not perfect. Um, they have their outbursts, they have their challenges. Um, but we just try to be loving and and consistent, like you said, because that was the challenge in my childhood. I'm not going to make it sound like it's all like roses and light. I think a big challenge I've had as a parent is still not having parental support. People sometimes think, and for those listeners who don't have kids yet, you might think, oh, you get to a certain age where you don't need that anymore. And the truth is there's never a time when you don't need it. And especially when you're a mother, I don't think when you're a father, it's as big of a deal. Um, but mothers really need their mothers and I just don't have a mother figure. And it kind of continually comes back to bite me in the butt over and over again. So that would be the, the sort of, I would say the lasting impact of 
everything I went through with my mom? It's a great question. Yeah. Have you, have you been intentional about finding, you know, women that can be that mother figure? Have you ever had a therapist or a coach or a mentor who did help, you know, no one can, can totally fill the void of a, of a, a mother, right? The mother that yeah. raises us, but has, have you been intentional about creating that in your life? And if so, has it helped? And if not, why not? Yeah, it's a great question. And <laughs> I wish I had a good answer for listeners about this. I have been intentional about it and it hasn't worked out particularly well. Um, mm. I think people want to be that, but they don't really want to, you know what I mean? They, it, they like mm-hmm. the idea of it. And that's not to say that I ever went to anyone directly and said, I want you to be this mother figure. It's just like how we say in the career space, like you never go to someone as a mentor and say, I want you to be my mentor when they don't know you from Adam. Well, it's the same thing mm-hmm. with this situation. I, I would never go to someone I didn't know very well and say, I don't have a mom. Would you like to be my mom? But just in relationships that develop, <laughs> um, it's come up where they are in a position uh-huh. and we do have the relationship and conversations have been had and relationships have been built and then they peter out. And that of course, as you can imagine, doesn't go over well for someone like me (laughs) and it makes me not want to do it again. So, um, I'm still hopeful. I'm actually going to turn my attention on that to people who I've met in the career sphere, um, who Mm. I think may it be, it, it may be a little bit of a better bet. It's not, um, going to be the exact same, obviously, but I, I, I do have some female mentors from a career perspective that I think can offer some of that. So I'm not giving up completely, yeah. but I have to say, I wish I had a better yeah, answer for your listeners <laughs> what happened when I tried to do that. It didn't work out. Yeah. Well, and part of that, you know, could still have been where you were, you know, inside your relationship with your mother and your healing journey and self-love and you know, we, we, sometimes we only attract what we're, what we truly believe is possible. I know for yeah. me, um, making friends was so hard because that was where a lot of my kind of core wounds were with people. And when I first started having to make friendships, I had to be really clear with people. Otherwise I'd end up with an expectation hangover. I'd basically say, I'd like to be your friend. <laughs> Would you like to be my friend? And, and as a friend, like it means a lot to me if, uh, you called me maybe once a week, we made plans. Like I, w- I was really specific with my requests because if I waited for them to show up in the way I wanted them to show up in my fantasy of how a friend should be, I would just end up disappointed. And it's almost like I was collecting evidence for how they could disappoint me because I was prepared for that. And so, yeah. so much of it took, um, you know, kind of reframing my relationship with, with friends. And, and it all came back to how am I a friend to myself? So that brings me to the other question I was going to ask you, cause you mentioned self-love, like that's a huge part of it. And we talk a lot on the show about, and I mentioned this earlier, what we didn't get from our parents. It's part of our soul curriculum is to give it to ourselves. So how have you been at mothering yourself? What have been things that have really helped you, you know, fill that void in, inside yourself? Well, writing the book and getting it out there to the people who need it um, has been a big part of that. I think just doing things for myself in general, uh, I make sure that I work out, get enough exercise, get enough sleep. I go for, I go to the spa. Um, I spend a lot of time with friends. I have a great network here in Chicago um, of people that I've known for a really long time. And 
I, I rely more on them. They are, people say, you know, friends or family you choose. And in my case, that's absolutely okay. how it is. And I, I think that generally I've, I've tried to do a good job. I try to balance my career so that I'm happy with the level of participation in my children's lives, um, which is something that has always been very important to me. And I think I've, I've done a pretty good job with that. So I am, um, I, I'm trying to, I mean, I think that to some degree, and, and one thing I try to express in the book, you know, I'm not going to have a perfect outcome to this. It just isn't going to happen. So I'm just doing the best that I can. And that's what I'm trying to help other people see too. I mean, you're going to make progress. You're going to grow as a person, but you may still be a little bit flawed and you may still have scars and that's okay because that's part of the human experience. Yeah. And I used to yes. feel really self-conscious about those things like, oh, you know, I'm this damaged person. Well, you know, I've got character. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's not what happens to us. It's, it's how we choose to let it identify us. Right. So it, it, the things we're all flawed, we're all human. There's no one that's perfect. We all have our, our curriculum, but it's, it's really how we relate to it. And I love that you have, um, you're really transformed and you haven't been a victim. Like I really acknowledge you for not repeating the patterns, being conscious and doing the best that you possibly can, you know, given not having a very strong foundation, because I will say, and, and this is from, you know, over a decade of coaching people, people that have parents or at least one parent who provided a safe, secure foundation do you have an easier time often taking risks and trusting others and all of that kind of thing? doesn't mean they don't have their other challenges, but not having a consistent emotionally, psychologically, mentally healthy parent does set up an advanced curriculum, you know? So I, I really acknowledge you for how you've walked through it and continue to walk through it and are vulnerable with your story. And, um, I'm curious would, and maybe you reveal this in the book, but I'd love for you to, to share if you're willing, mm -hmm. did you ever forgive your mom and how did you reach that point? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. I, um, toward the end of the book, I, I do talk about once I became a, a parent myself, I realized, you know, how hopelessly in love I, I was with my son and, how I would have done anything mm -hmm. for him, but also how difficult it was to go through some of those experiences. And my son was um, premature. He was born with a, a little, you know, couple of issues there that we had to go through. And at the same time, there were other things happening in my life that weren't that great. So, and I was pretty psychologically stable. And all I kept thinking of was, you know, my mom had to go through stuff like this. She didn't have a stable marriage. She didn't have a stable psychological constitution. And I couldn't imagine having to deal with all that without having at least the sense of myself intact. And that that was a real journey in my forgiveness of her and saying, I, you know, I, I really do think people do the best that they can. And in my mom's case, she was just extremely yeah. ill. And I, I think that that through the course of my years with her, especially the later years, even though she was driving me crazy, I, I did have a lot of empathy for her and I did recognize it was an illness, but I still, there was a lot of anger. And I think that over sure. the years since, since she's been gone, I've really come to terms with that anger. And I, I don't feel anger. I just feel s sadness that her life had to be 
so difficult because no one should have to go through what she went through. Mm. Yeah. Compassion truly is the doorway to forgiveness because it's, it's, it's when we see our parents as human and really, like you said, kind of get into that and not take it personally because it's hard as a child Mm-hmm. not to take it personally that you don't feel your parent loves you unconditionally or isn't there for you. You know, that's a right. really hard thing to wrap your head around. Um, but when you really see, wow, like this wasn't really about me, this was, this was their journey. And when we can stop personalizing it and yep. stop making it mean anything about our value or our lovability or our self-worth, or even, you know, really understand that they had their unique experience. They do not represent all people. And just because they weren't there for us doesn't mean that all people are the same way. You know, all of this takes, you know, a, a bit to get to and it takes a lot of reframing and updating beliefs. And it just really sounds like, you know, all the, the work that you've done on yourself and having children has given you a doorway to, to forgiveness through that empathy and through that understanding because, as you know, being a victim or carrying around anger at your mother or taking it personally, that's not going to serve you in any kind of way. Exactly. That doesn't help anyone. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Well, just a few, just a couple last questions here too, unless I think of more. Um, first one is, um, how do you think, like, why do you think kind of on a soul level you chose your mother? What was the blessing and having the mother you did? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, on a soul level, why were my mother and I paired together? I think resilience is definitely part of it. Uh, it certainly tested my ability to develop into a successful functioning member of society. I see other people who have gone through similar things who have not been able to do that. And I don't fault them because it has been really difficult. But it's it's been a journey for me that I do feel is very spiritual. Um, I think it's it's acceptance of someone um, regardless of what and it's like what you were saying, like regardless of what they're able to to give to you, that you still you recognize, you know, that's who they are. And it's not, it's not personal. I I think that that's, that's part of my journey as well. And you said it so well, it's, Mm -hmm. it's something that I had to learn over a period of time. And I think that the journey that I'm still going through, I think that my life learning here is not over is how do you have relationships with people? (laughs) I I think I'm still learning Mm -hmm. that one. I think coming going so far in the other direction and trying to survive has sacrificed something um, in me that I'm still working to get back. And I think I'd like to see that part of her teaching to me is that um, I'm able to, to do that again and to form a relationship, frankly, with my own daughter that I didn't have with my mom. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like that, that coming full circle will be really meaningful to me. She's, she's only six, but I already see it starting to happen. And I'm looking forward to the rest Mm, of it. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And for people who really are relating to what you're saying, they may not have had a parent that um, was bipolar or had any kind of mental illness, but they might have had a parent that they just felt, you know, wasn't there or was really judgmental of them or, um, and they still feel like that is creating challenges in their life today. What, what advice 
tips, ways to deal with it, things that have been helpful to you, or maybe a piece of advice that someone gave you on your journey, what would you share with the people that are really resonating with what you're saying? The best piece of advice that I would give to people is to recognize you only have control over your own life. You cannot take responsibility for someone else's life. And so this goes with whether your um, your loved one is suffering from a mental illness, suffering from an addiction, or even it's just a pro- having problems in life. Like You can give advice. You can try to guide them toward help, but it's the classic, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. I mean, readers will see that I did everything that was humanly possible to get my mom to recover. And my mom at the end of the day, I I hesitate to say she didn't want to. I think it's a combination of she just didn't have it in her to do it. Um, didn't want to do those particular things. But at the end of the day, I had to take a step back and say, you know what? I got to take care of myself. And I didn't do that exactly. for 30 years. And when I did it, it was yeah. a big step for me. But that's what you have to do is you have to put yourself first sometimes and recognize that the only person who you can improve and the only person who you can work on spiritually, psychologically, physically, mentally is yourself. That's my advice. Oh, this is such a good, amazing, important point to end on because What ends up happening a lot is we try to save our parents and we think we're doing it out of love, but really we're doing it because we think if we change them, then we'll finally get the love we want from them. So in a lot of ways, it's about us. (laughs) (laughs) And so when we can just like, it doesn't work. It's like, you, you know, we, it's like I often say, stop going to a Chinese restaurant when you want nachos, like accept yeah. that your parent or someone in your life may be a Chinese restaurant. And no matter what you do, they aren't, even if you bring them the ingredients, even if you teach them how to make nachos, they're, they're not going to do it. They just don't serve it and go find those Mexican restaurants that do, you know, serve the nachos and not to bring light of a very serious situation, but that's an important metaphor to keep in our minds is we, like you said, we are responsible for ourselves and ourselves alone. That doesn't mean we shut off to other people. We still are loving, but it's not our job to save anybody. So thank you so much for bringing that forward. Such an important point. And I know that so many people, even if people don't personally relate to this, I think this is such a great read. I mean, it's such an interesting book. I I was riveted the whole time you were talking, not just because I know you, just because this is such a, um, it's such a rich topic and there's so many layers. So tell people the name of the book again and where they can get it. Okay. Well, I would love for everybody to read it. And if you have experience with this particular type of situation, I would love to hear from you as well, because one of the things I'm trying to do with it is open up dialogue. That is really my primary goal is to open up the conversation among issues that let's face it, there's still a little bit of a stigma around. So the book is called Mm -hmm. A Good Soldier. It is a memoir by Allie Golden. You can find all types of information about it at AllieGolden.com, A-L-L-Y-G-O-L-D-E-N. And you can also look up A Good Soldier by Allie Golden on Amazon. And certainly let me know what you think because... I am eager to hear all types of responses and insights about this topic and what you yeah, have gone through. Me too. Oh, me too. And you guys, you can put, you know, there's a link to the show notes, um, always with the episode. You can, you can break comments there and I'll make sure to share them with Allie. And again, Allie, I just, I so acknowledge you. I acknowledge your journey. I acknowledge you for bringing 
light and, and conversation to this. And I think that's a big, a big part of your healing journey is just being vulnerable and being open about what you've been through and not trying to push it aside and pretend you're quote unquote fine. <laughs> you know, I always say fine is like fe- feelings inside, not expressed. And it's like with our own vulnerability and sharing our journey. And the other thing I really want to point out to all of you about Allie, cause I hear this a lot from people. You've heard how honest she's been about, I'm not perfect. I'm not totally healed. But notice she didn't wait to write the book or share her story until she got to this place of feeling like done. Because hello, she's still breathing, so she's still human. She, like me, like you, we're all still learning. And I know a lot of you have stories in you. You have experiences in you, and you're waiting to write, or you're waiting to get in a relationship, or you're waiting to make a change until you're like, done. And let this be an inspiration for you that you can still be in your journey. You don't necessarily have to be the quote unquote expert to share your story. Look at how much you learn from Allie just by her sharing her story and being really honest about where she is with it. So just let this be an inspiration for you that vulnerability and authenticity, you can feel that it's far more palpable than having everything figured out and being some kind of expert. So thank you so much, Allie, for inspiring that and, and me and, and everyone Thanks today. Thanks so much for having me and, and for helping to share this with your listeners. I know that a lot of them are going through similar challenges. I wish that nobody was, but, and, and you're right. It's, it's like, I'm not done. And some people have said that to me. They're like, oh, you know, it feels like at the book, like it's not quite, you know, sometimes like you're, some of this is still going on. It's like, absolutely. That's the point. I, I won't be done with this, <laughs> yeah. of this life until I am dead. <laughs> so, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But you've gotten yourself to a point where you've, you haven't let it define you. You haven't right. let it make it mean that you can't have love, that you can't have children, that you can't have a career of your dreams. Yes. There's parts and pieces that you're still working on, but look at how much you have healed because you wouldn't have the things in your life if you weren't willing to take those risks. So rock on sister. So proud of you. And, and thank, thank you for you. coming on and inspiring. And, and I just feel this interview in my heart and I just know that it just is going to reach and touch so many people. So thank you. And everybody go get the book. Good <laughs> Thanks, You're Allie. Welcome. Thanks, Christine. <laughs>